When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We've had a week off just to collect our thoughts and and let everything sort of wash over us. Uh, And we're going to look back in this podcast at the India-England series a little bit later, the Test series. Uh, And we're also going to hear from the former England batting coach, Mark Ramprakash, who is now the Harrow head coach at Harrow School. And also the one who's taking over his role, Marcus Truscothic, who's about to start his job as the the full-time England batting coach. They were both our guests in the virtual cricket club over the last couple of weeks. They had some interesting things to say about the art of coaching and the way the game has evolved, especially for batsmen. But first, Simon, uh, we've got this uh, T20 series underway. It's one all as we speak on the 15th of March uh, with plenty of opportunity for both sides coming up, of course. It's funny, isn't it? It, 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 There's no such thing as momentum in T20 series, really. It's just uh, one game at a time. I I don't think you need to to read too much into the the, the flow of a series. It's It's almost individual players winning matches for their team, but then it can be anybody uh, in, in any game almost. Yeah, two thrashings so far, one for India and one for England. I thought the second game, it was a bit like watching just about every England white ball game in India this century, or certainly since 2006. Uh, the pitch suited India, and Owen Morgan said this afterwards, you know, that the pitch took us out of our comfort zones, slow, low, didn't turn too much. And basically the same result as most of those games uh, in in the 21st century. I was just looking back, actually. Since 2006, India have won 21 white ball matches against England at home. They've lost four and they've tied one. So, you know, India very strong at home, as they are in, in test cricket as well. Ditto white ball. You know, they're a very good side in their own conditions. And 
England were just off it, I thought, in the in the second game. They were right on it, absolutely right on it in the first game. The the pace, the patch, the pitch probably helped them a bit. There was a bit of extra pace in the pitch, and it was a little bit uneven. Archer and Wood really got into them, and when India were restricted, England had the the firepower to to knock them off. Very different game in the second match. England making too many mistakes and uh, well played. Ishan Kishan and, and Virat Kohli benefiting to some extent from those mistakes as well with uh, Kishan dropped and Virat Kohli dropped as well badly by Joss Butler down the leg side. You really feel, you know, at this level, your wicketkeeper's got to be catching those. Of course, so there's been lots of talk about England's uh, white ball team and how they got priority and maybe the England test match team didn't have all the, the best players at their disposal all the time. And why was that? Well, England clearly focusing on the World T20 in October, which is in India. It was meant to be in Australia last year, but um, obviously because of COVID it got postponed and now it's in India this year. And it is a, a different art playing T20 cricket in India from really anywhere else. I think for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is actually the impact of the dew, which does really change the, 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 the state of a pitch quite significantly. Often in the first bit of the match, it's it's a bit sticky, the pitch, and then suddenly under lights when the dew really kicks in at kind of um, in the middle of the evening, uh, then you really get uh, the ball sliding onto the bat. So it's often much easier to bat second. And I think also it doesn't really suit, the, the conditions in India don't really suit the bludgeoning type of batsman that, that England have have used to their great uh, benefit for most of the time in white ball cricket, the likes of Jason Roy, Johnny Bairstow, even Ben Stokes. You know, the way they bat doesn't really work quite so effectively in India as it does elsewhere. And, and if you look at the, the, the most successful Indian batsmen in their own conditions, it tends to be batsmen who have a bit more fluency and fluidity and even more, you know, slightly more risky. They're not power hitters, you know, Rohit Sharma is the obvious example, but even in that last match, Ishant Kishan, he, he's not a big beefy unit, is he? He's, he's more wiry and he's got those, you know, fantastic uh, hands and big back lift and a big flowing kind of drive. And I just think those sorts of players are a bit more effective than the types that grip the bat handle really tightly as, you know, the likes of Stokes, Bairstow, Roy do and and try and muscle the ball over the ropes. That can still be effective, but oddly, in the same way as actually being a bit lighter of touch in test cricket in India, I think that also works in, in the, the, the shorter format. Yeah, I suppose it depends where you play, doesn't it? If you play in somewhere like um, Bangalore, then you know that that sort of style that England bring to bear works because you know it's a it's a fast scoring high scoring ground. It, it very much depends on the venue. Somewhere like Chennai, for example, you're not not so easy for traditional English sort of T20 players, if you like. And and this surface in Ahmedabad for the last game. As, as Owen Morgan said, it, it, it just exposed our our weaknesses. Is what he said. That was his quote. And it, his only, our only way to improve is to play on a, a pitch like this and, and and make mistakes. And of course, they're going to get another chance. I think the feeling is the next game is going to be played on a, a red soil 
pitch and the ball is going to turn more. So Mo and Ali might come into it. So it's, you know, again, a slightly different variation on the, on an Indian surface. Uh, it, it's great to watch this. It's fantastic theatre to see the, you know, the huge crowds in under lights. I mean, you can, you can see why uh, T20 cricket is so huge in India, why the IPL has done so well. I mean, I did mention those stats at the start about England white ball performances in England, in India what I should say is that in T20 cricket it's actually India 1-4 England 1-4 so it, it, you know, it is even but the other factor of course is that six of the eight games have been won by the side batting second and I think you know Morgan saying at the toss yesterday you know it, it does feel important that you, know, you win, win the toss and, and try to chase doesn't guarantee you anything of, of course and I've, I've seen England lose batting second uh, in India there was a game in Nagpur actually they should have won when Joe Root was given out off the first ball of the last over with England needing seven to win off the last over and he was given out uh, eight to win off the last over I should say he was given at LBW after he inside judge against Bumrah so you know that that game might have gone a different way you know it might well have been seven out of eight batting second so you know there is that factor you mentioned the the due factor was, was the due much of an issue in the in the second game do you think yeah it, it definitely made it a bit easier definitely it, it just it, it's it's subtle but it just helps the ball to slide onto the bat a bit more. And even when you try and change your pace, I mean, you know, clearly faster bowlers are very proficient, are very good now at bowling slower balls. The slower balls in slightly dewy conditions are just less effective. The the, the batsman may be slightly done for pace, but because of the, the surface, the ball still just slides onto the bat a bit more and they can adjust and still hit it cleanly. And also, you don't grip the ball as well uh, either. It's just a bit more slithery in your hand and you can't do those variations quite as effectively. So, yeah, I think it is a, it's quite a big factor. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I, I can be a factor. I was wondering whether it was in the in the second match. Um, the, uh, what I like about you know, being out in India, and this is the problem, is you're, you're sitting at home, you're trying to work out whether there is some sort of grease around or how much grease there is on the ball or whatever is, you know, normally at the end of the match, you had a chance to go down to the outfield and do an interview. Normally you just run, you know, you run your hand over the outfield just to see how dewy it is. And of course, you know, we're not able to do that because we're, you know, we're watching from a distance and you sort of feel as if you're, you're guessing a little bit. You really want to be there to see how dry or otherwise the conditions are. Anyway, just a thought about that last game. Where, where, what were England's problems in the, in the second match? I mentioned they played a pretty much a perfect game in the, First time round, uh, 22 off the last three overs when they had six wickets in hand. Um, David Milan, 104 strike rate, the, the lowest strike rate of any of England's batsmen. Tom Curran, his first over, just seemed to release so much pressure, going for 16. I mean, he's an interesting character, Tom Curran. He's got lots of variations, uh, but then so did Jane Dernback as well. He had lots of variations, and in the end, batsmen seemed to work him out. I think the trouble with Tom Curran is that his slower ball isn't that much slower than his quicker ball. And in a way, you need to have really good deception to bowl a good slower ball. And his, he does bowl a variety of different slower balls. Mm. But because his natural, normal pace isn't particularly rapid, and actually I don't think he has a, a very deceptive action either. It's sometimes about if you have a fast arm... You know, a Boomerah, for instance, a Lassith Malinga, someone like that, uh, their slower balls likely to be much more effective because there's so much vigorous work going on with their limbs that 
you know, the, the arm comes over fast and then the ball comes out slow and that is a, a very good deception. Whereas I think with Tom Curran, he's just one of those bowlers where I think the batsman gets quite a clear view of the ball and the, the, the disguise isn't as effective. You know, what was he, Macram? so fast his arm that he didn't really need to bowl a slow ball but if he ever did bowl a slow ball you you, you had no idea where it was and uh, th- it's about your body biorhythms partly I think which can make your uh, different variations more effective and that, that probably was the case with Jay Dernback as well he had lots of clever variations but because his his fundamental action wasn't uh, very um, deceptive or unusual uh, therefore, the batsman could pick up those, the good batsman anyway, could pick up those variations a bit clearer. I think, I mean, England's fundamental problem was they didn't get enough runs in that second game. Mm. 164, three sixes is all they hit in that innings. Joss Butler was saying before the series started, he realised about the effectiveness of sixes in T20. And it sounds an obvious thing to say, but it's a very easy way, especially with you know, shortish boundaries nowadays and obviously big bats and everything, it's a very easy way to catch up your scoring rate. Often you'll find that the team that hits the most boundaries and especially the most sixes wins these T20 games. England only hit three and crucially, Butler was out first ball. And he's the guy that can adapt to these conditions probably as effectively as anybody in the England side. And he, he lasted one ball. So, you know, that's probably where they went wrong. I think if they got 180, maybe 190... They would have won. Yeah, and and took some catches as well. Uh, Kishan was dropped. Coley was dropped down the leg side by Butler, as I mentioned. Uh, Kishan was dropped by Ben Stokes, uh, and we have seen Stokes drop quite a few catches actually, but mainly close to the wicket. And there was that famous one he dropped B.J. Watling when he made thirty in that Test match in Mount Monganui. And about nine days later, you know, Watling uh, reached his double hundred, and New Zealand made about three million. Uh, you know, they're it, it, very crucial moments in the game, but. I understand the floodlights are not they're not easy to pick up. Uh, it's mm. not easy to pick up the ball. And the, the new floodlights are sort of a ring of fire floodlights, something rather than the, sort of the old fashioned stanchions mm. with the, the 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 four huge beams uh, staring down at the ground. But even so, um, you, if, if you're not catching those at long on, uh, you're not catching any of them, are you? I mean, it really was the most straightforward drop. I mean, incredible, really. I mean, you you, you almost catch it with your eyes closed. I think that you know the, the thing with Ben Stokes is he does everything at 100 miles an hour at full 100% commitment and sometimes you, I think you just have to relax a bit more and he's not probably not, not very good at relaxing. There's a lot and of thrashing when he's batting as well, wasn't well, there? Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's one of the problems he ha- has a little bit in T20. He hasn't got a great record with the back in, in T20. And I think sometimes he just literally tries to hit the ball too hard. Uh, I thought Alistair Cook made quite a good point in the or a good analogy in the Channel 4 studio during the Test Series. He said that sometimes in certain batting conditions like the ones we're talking about, the harder you try, the worse it is. And it's a bit like grasping a bar of soap you know the, the mm. harder you try to squeeze the soap the, the harder it is to keep hold of it and it just flies out of your hand uh, sometimes in these it's, and it, it must be a difficult thing to do with 66,000 people screaming uh, their heads off all the time and you know the pressure of the game and you know moments that you want to affect the, the best uh, outcome for your team uh, it must be hard to relax, but somehow you've got to, to to perform your best, really. Anyway, two matches down. 
three to go. I mean, the, the series is alive and it will be until the fourth game at least. And they're all going to be played in Ahmedabad. And what we expect is a slightly different pitch uh, for the third match. And what England supporters will be hoping is a, is a better performance uh, from England. It'd be actually really good to see a you know really tight tussle. Both games so far won in a straightforward manner by the, the side batting second. Of course, England got off to a very good start in the Test Series as well, with a with a thumping win in the first Test, a thumping win in the first T20, and then it all went wrong. So we're going to have a look back at that now over the next uh, half an hour or so in the company of, of Marcus Draskothic and Mark Ramprakash. Marcus Draskothic, who's going to be England's next batting coach, and Mark Ramprakash, England's former batting coach. Let's hear from Mark Ramprakash uh, first. He started by giving his take on the India versus England series. The first thing when I look at that series is that, that the Indian spinners are so much more accurate and adept and consistent and can bowl to their fields and apply pressure. Now that's not in any way, you know, a huge criticism of Jack Leach who had a good see, uh, series and of course, young Dominic Bess and Moen as well. This is a familiar tale. People have to realise, uh, you know, we're looking at the batting and I'll come to that in a minute, but people have to realise that this has long been the case. Now we had Graham Swan and Monty Panazar, but that was a bit of a exception to the rule. You know, in, in, we, we have, since Andrew Strauss took over as director of cricket, we targeted the one day World Cup and as a result, we bookended championship cricket to April and September with not a lot in between. Now, when I played with you, yours, you know, Middlesex, yes, the seamers dominated in May and early June, but the spinners took over. Phil Tufnell, Phil Edmonds and Embry bowled a lot in June, July, August, and they would regularly end up bowling the most overs and taking the most wickets. The, the goalposts have shifted and this is ECB who have shifted them. And so when we say that the cupboard is bare with spin, you only have to look in one place. And that's the people who set the schedule. And so championship cricket has been marginalised in favour of money and the short format. And so you're blessed, Dominic Best. You know, these guys, they're being put in the cauldron on the, on the highest stage. And, you know, they're not quite there. And it's tough to learn at, in that stage. So I think the disparity between the spinners is huge now um that's the first place to start and and how until we redress that and we that that production and encouraging spin to be bold in this country you speak to any county batsman in the last six years and the figures are stark mm. you know it used to be that 30 batsmen would get a thousand runs now it's about four four or five and you speak to david milan speak to sam robson the pitches are green. Medium paces are having great fun. Nick Gubbins two years ago faced his first over of spin in July. I went to see a game with Middlesex and Warwickshire at Lords in July in the middle of a five-week heat wave. And Middlesex batted first and was 70 for seven at lunch. So, you know, this, this has been going on for a long time. And we can't, we don't encourage spin. And then when we go on tour, of course, we face turning pitches. And it's very, very hard to compete. Mm. Um, Joe Root in Sri Lanka played brilliantly. And if you look, England won those games against comparatively a relatively poor Sri Lankan side. But also Joe Root got 200 
and then 180. And now if one batsman does that, you tend to dominate the game. So we played, you know, he played brilliantly in those conditions. In terms of the batting, there's no easy answer. We had some young players on show, which again was England's choice to not pick supposedly their first choice test side. But people like Lawrence and Ollie Pope, you know, that was a tough initiation. Even Joe Root, who had all those runs under his belt, found it very, very difficult. Clarity of thought. Ultimately, when you're walking out to the middle, a player has to be clear in their plan. So if you're facing Aksar Patel, you have a choice. You either bat on leg stump and try and play everything with the bat, protect your stumps, and if the ball turns, it beats the outside edge and you take your, take your chance. Or um, you, you play and you bat on middle stump, your bat comes down maybe off stump or outside, and you run the risk of missing the ball that runs on with the arm. Which would um, you choose then? I would bat on leg stump. I would bat on leg stump as Virat Kohli did. Virat Kohli did that, and yes, you got more chance if you edge it. You got more chance of getting away with it than if you're pinned LBW with the DRS these days. Yeah. One thing Joe Root said after the the, the Test series, I said to him, you know, <clears throat> do you sort of, in a way, accept that this is a sort of like an outlier series because the pitches are so difficult and you know you don't have that practice back in England? And he said, he said, well, the pitches are difficult, but these players who played here have got to go away and work out how to come back next time much better. You know, it's, it's no good just saying, well, you know, we don't have the preparation and the Indian pitches are, do, do spin a lot. How quickly do you think a player can sort of become adept at spin? I mean, how, how long would it take and how, or how many matches or how much practice would it take? I mean, can you do it in, could you do it in six months or a year or two years? I mean, how, how long would it take? Or is that, is that too difficult a question to answer? No, it's a great question, actually. It's a great question. Um, let me just first deal with Joe Root's comment. Four years ago, 2016, I toured with England as batting coach. And we had on that trip, Keaton Jennings, Johnny Bairstow, Joss Butler. And so we lost 4-0 in a five-test series. Um, not and Hasib Hamid was on that trip as well. And so the same things were said. After that trip, well, you know, we're going to learn. We're going to go away. And when we come back, you know, we'll be better. Well, England didn't pick Keaton Jennings and they didn't pick Joss Butler or Hamid. And uh, Bairstow, was, of course, was rested. And Moen Ali, of course, who got 200s in that five-test series, was not, uh, you know, he, he didn't play the whole series either. So, you know, I would go back at Joe Root and say, look, hold on, what have you got to say about that? Yeah. Um, but in terms of playing spin, I think it depends on the individual. Um, a lot of the great players are very good at learning quickly. And Joe Root would be a classic in that. Um, at a very young age, he seemed to go overseas. He adjusted well to the bounce of Australia, not on necessarily on the test trip there, but he was in the Lions and played very well there for someone at a young age. Um, he went to Asia and played very well and impressed and, and obviously debuted there. So... It's how quickly you can take on information, work out uh, your game. We, we work very hard with players in the Lions about picking length and moving quickly, whether it's getting close to the pitch or getting right back and playing off the back foot. Joe Root plays very well off the back foot, I think. Uh, but equally, uh, people can you know, practice sweeping, uh, reverse sweeping, etc. And there's a lot more acceptance of that type of cricket now in Test cricket. So... Uh, for me personally, when I went to Sri Lanka, I went there with England under 19s in 1987, then and again on an England A tour in 1991. That was fantastic experience. I can't tell you at a young age to have that experience 
five, six weeks in those conditions, playing spin every day, uh, working out your method, talking to your teammates, talking to coaches was so valuable. Then when I came back to Middlesex, and this is where I'm saying so many of these players don't have this. I had John Embry and Phil Edmonds to face in the nets and to talk to about spin and watch them bowl and understand why for some players they had a short leg and for others they had a silly point. You know, so um, then Phil Tufnell came along as well. So I was lucky I was at a county where we had fantastic spinners. So that education continued and we had a very good record against opposition spinners because I felt that our batters were, you know, got to know how to, to play it and have a good game plan. It's an interesting point Mark Rampakash makes there about the experience uh, of, that you glean from playing with high quality spinners or seamers uh, yourself as well as playing against them and I, I don't think you can underestimate that and the, the I, I remember you know seeing him batting against Edmonds and Embry and Tufnell in the nets and and trying that myself uh, and you know and obviously not being a, as successful as him but it's a really valuable education not only actually in in practicing against them but also talking about the, their bowling and what they're looking to do and you can do that in the dressing room. You can do that while you're sitting by the nets. You can do that in the bar. You know, there's lots of places that uh, and times to to learn. But if you don't have good players of a particular type that are around you, either to play against or with, uh, in a perfect world, both, you're not going to develop. And I think that that generation, the, the sort of 1980s, early 90s maybe, generation of batsmen had more variety and more spinners actually to face generally both at home and um, away from home uh, you know when you're playing uh, teams in county cricket and there was just a sort of good range of different styles of bowler and surface to experience I just don't think the modern player gets that now Uh, you know they're doing a lot of practice in the nets uh, they're not playing as many, certainly the England players, are not playing as many county games and experiencing a real range of conditions and different types of bowlers to face. Yeah, they go on tours. I know they play, you know, they go on Lions tours to various parts of the world, and I'm sure that's valuable experience. But generally, surfaces are more uniform around the world. You know, Australian pitches have got a bit slower. English pitches maybe have got a bit quicker, actually, in, at international level. You don't get, say, Headingley, for instance. Headingley was like soot in the 1980s, a bit like actually one of those Chennai or Armoured Bad Test wickets. The ball just sort of puffed quite often and lifted or kept low or or sometimes spun as well. Uh, you don't get those sort of pitches very much now. Maybe you do down at uh, Siderabad, Taunton. Uh, there's, there's a an essence of you know playing there which is different to anywhere else in England and I would advocate we need more of those sort of pitches to really round a young batsman's education um, the sort of education that someone like Mark Rampakash enjoyed. Well it's fairly clear from what Ramps was saying there that he doesn't give England much chance on their next tour of India because things won't change I mean that was that was basically his message wasn't it you know the the, the way the season is, is the the, the the Red Bull season is, is shunted to the sort of start and the end of the season, uh, the emphasis on results and the predominance of 
green seamers and dob bowlers taking wickets in, in English county cricket. You know, he said, "Well, you know, good good luck to the batsmen of the future." And, you know, when they when they go to India, and you, you feel as well. You know, when you look at the crop of young players uh, coming through in India, that it's it's almost only going to get harder. India got this great record at home. It's only going to get harder as, as as time goes on. It does feel like we might be entering this sort of era of uh, Indian dominance. Let's hear from Marcus Driscothic now. So he's the new England batting coach. He's actually taking up his role around about now. He's, he's left uh, Somerset. He was watching the series and he actually picked out a, a very particular partnership in terms of like trying as a sort of role model to try to improve. This is how you play in India. This is how you can improve. Have a, have a look at this, he was basically saying. And he picked out a partnership between Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli in the third test. They put on 65 for the third wicket out of a score of 145 and he what he noticed was the skill and the technically correct batting with the ball turning i think it's definitely worth worthwhile being able to pick up that patches of play and say look so look at this look what they did look where their feet were look what their decision making was like look at the shots they played if they were trying to attack of course that's the sort of things you use as a as a coach you're trying to you know, trying to educate people in any possible way. Some people are very visual learners and want to see video of other, of other, other batters or themselves. Other people want to want to feel the way that it happens and try and get that, that, that sort of process of how they work it and understand it themselves. So you, you can take these little bits and some, some people will really benefit from it and other people won't like it as much, but, you know, anything to try and help. What was the hardest period that you experienced as a batsman? If, if you can sort of relate to what the guys are going through now, did you have anything similar? I, I should seem to remember you, you hated little dobby medium paces sort of drifting it outside off stump. But I mean, did you go through a period where you were trying to find your game again after a, 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 you know, some difficult matches? I reckon I'd have hated facing you, yours. <laughs> you wouldn't, actually, because I'd have given you... Cl- I, you wouldn't, because I'd have given you plenty of short and full balls. So you wouldn't. I was a bit like... I bowled a bit like Jack Brooks, so I reckon you could probably be fine, actually. <laughs> they had the odd game. I'll tell you what we had a real spell with, which we found tricky. When we went to places like Sri Lanka, we used to play on slow, turgid pitches. Uh, and especially for our, our white ball games, we just couldn't adjust. We weren't good enough to adjust, and we hadn't thought of methods to adjust in those sort of scenarios. And we just never got it right. You know, Whenever they batted first, they'd get 320. Um, and we, then we'd, we'd come into bat and get bowled out for like 250. We just couldn't understand how to do it. We just didn't know what to do. There are other scenarios when your Ashes trips in particular. So the Ashes trip we had over in Australia and also the game 2001, you know, the intensity of what they put upon you in that sort of series was really tricky. And it was different to most other series that you play. There's a different feel about it, a vibe. And, and if you don't adjust to it well enough, you, you don't succeed because it's, it's very different in that approach. And you see it almost with the, with the Indian series. Yes, the, tri- the pitches are tricky, but it's a different feel. You know, and I watched a bit of Joe Root. You know, I thought he looked slightly out of sorts you know, with a couple of balls off the seamer in particular, which he fended at. That's what it can do to you. It can, it can, it can put you under, under pressure in different ways. Um, and just get in your head because it's uh, you know it feels like a different style of cricket. I suppose one other thing I, I guess is a challenge for you especially is 
you know, you're working across the, the, the age group. So I know you're going to be working with the Lions and, and so on. And, you know, as well as the first tier, the, the top 11. When you're in the Lions or in county cricket, you haven't got DRS. No. And suddenly that's another thing, I suppose, that hits you. So how, when you, when you get into international, so how do you overcome that, that hurdle? And is that something that, that you're going to try and work on? Well, getting an understanding of what it's going to be like batting with the DRS. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think, you you know, with the next crop that are going to be coming through, especially the guys who would be Lions players, that you know, you could easily pick them out. But, you know, they're all, they, they will already be thinking about what it's going to be like understanding what DRS does. Um, and then you've got to try and prep them up in that way because they, they need to have that understanding now so that when they get to international level and it's there, they need to know... You know how it's going to work. Don't be surprised by it because you've got time to prepare for it. So, should it be brought into county cricket? I think it'd be brilliant if we could. Realistically, the cost of it, you know, I, I don't know what it costs, but I appreciate that there's a, a bigger um, outlay of, of money that's going to be needed to get the cameras and, and everything that comes with it. So, I doubt that it'll be there for you know anytime soon, but it'd be great if we could. I think there's a, I mean, it'd be worth looking into, but I know Paul Hawkins has designed a sort of fairly cheap version which can be used with, you know, iPhones and even ver a version for club cricket. So I really? think he, he was telling me that, um, you know, all county grounds will be equipped with the basics or Hawkeye. So it could be. And is it reliable with, with that sort yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's basic you know, sort of computerised maths, isn't it? So, okay. I mean, it is, it is, yeah. It won't be quite as slick, but it is. You can do it with two cameras, um, with two phones, actually. Because I've, I've I've done a trial with it in a club game, where you the umpire has a phone and the, both umpires have a phone, and you can by syncing them together, you can get the track of the ball and pro project where it would end up. Wow! So you just get like you just see the the tracking of the ball. You don't get a snicker or you don't get. Um... Well, I mean, you'd obviously add that. I mean, there's things. There's little devices you can put on the back of bats and all sorts. I mean, this is. I suppose we're talking five years ahead, but I think with Hawkeye and two cameras in umpires' pockets, you know, or iPhones clipped to their pockets or whatever, you can actually, they then look at their, I mean, he's shown me the, the, the technology. They then look at their phone and they get a, a track from each camera, uh, from each phone, and they can tell where the ball went. And that's interesting. I mean, it, what, what would be worth finding out from Marcus, actually, is, is the, the difference you, you feel between players who don't play with DRS and players who then suddenly have to play with it. I mean the step up to international cricket is is tough enough already isn't it I mean, there's that mental challenge and also this you know depending on who you're playing that high skill challenge as well but yeah. how much does DRS then sort of add on to that I'm only going off other people's experience I never it was never introduced when I was playing you got um, out of it at the right time didn't you <laughs> well I know for sure there was a hundred I got at um at Lords against Sri Lanka I reckon I was out three times LBW before I was um <laughs> But there are you can go through back through many games and there'll be other games where I you know potentially got sawn off without uh, when I wasn't out. But you know I, it's interesting because some of the players talk about it and, and it's just become a part of what they do now. That I think they've adjusted comfortably enough to understand what DRS is going to bring. They, they need to try and build methods around it. Um, I haven't really sat down and talked to them about you know defensive techniques with some of the guys in the, you know in the main team at the moment. But it would be interesting. I'd like to do that once I you know, get uh, a bit more comfortable in the position and a bit more around the team a bit more that you can build that relation to have those conversations. What's your philosophy as a, a batting coach? See ball, hit ball. Yeah, it's just get on with it. Stop messing around, isn't it? I think, um, 
That's a really interesting question because it's, you know, I, that's, I'm a more technical understanding at the moment about what I try and keep for, for players and try and want players to work upon, um, to be very balanced, very still, and then, and then be positive, you know. And that, that being positive can be running between the wickets or loud calling, you know, having that approach so you sort of implement yourself at the crease um, to show that you're there to, to mean business. And I'm still learning some of it, you know. I think having played a long time doesn't always mean that you can sort of translate it straight into playing. I'm still picking up things all the time and asking questions uh, of other coaches around me because I'm, I want to learn. I want to get a better understanding. I've, I've had situations over the course of this winter working with some of the Somerset lads where I come back from the session just thinking, right, what has happened there? I didn't really get, get across what I wanted to do. And there's one case where I was working with Tom Lamanby and it just didn't work. The session we tried to do just didn't work. So I phoned Graham Thorpe and I said to him, look, this is the situation. What, what would you do? And, and you, sort of, you sort of gain that rapport with other coaches and a relationship that you can start working and building. And, you know, I don't have all the answers and I don't pretend to know that I would do. And I'm, I'm very much a sponge at the moment, wanting to gain more information of how to do it from, from coaches who have done it better than me for longer than me. So that's Marcus Truscothing and his coaching philosophy, be positive. But he says, I don't have all the answers. I mean, do we expect our coaches to have all the answers and is that part of the problem we expect them to, to solve it everything and actually it's the players really who have to to solve the problems themselves and that's the coaches suggest encourage coax uh, sometimes offer a, a suggestion or a, possibly even a you know a very precise or even a, a stern word sometimes perhaps to a to a younger player but they, they don't have all the answers yeah i i think it's a, a a very understandable response from him and he's right I don't think you can expect coaches to have all the answers. I mean, if you think about how do you learn um, from school or, or university? Well, you know, the teacher or the tutor gives you some ideas and some fundamental principles and then sends you away to do some background reading. And uh, I think that's the bit. That's the key bit, isn't it? The people who do more background reading probably get the better qualifications in the end. And uh, the, the, the richer you can have or you can make your educational experience, the better off you're going to be afterwards. You have got to go and experience all these scenarios. It's very difficult to replicate those. I mean, you know, obviously coaching has become more sophisticated and they've got all sorts of tools to use both the physical ones with the you know the, the dog thrower and, and that sort of thing and perhaps machines bowling particular balls particular types of spin different pitches that you can experience but it's also match situations it's particular individual types of bowlers uh, and and surfaces and just general situations you can't replicate that in practice really uh, they try hard they try scenarios where you have to you know bat for 30 minutes against two spinners with this sort of field setting or something but there's no substitute for a match situation and th therefore the, the more you can just play uh, the, the better you're going to be. And I, I, I mean, Joe Root is the classic example of someone who, you know, he has studied the game to such a level, both um, watching and playing, that he has the answers for most situations. Obviously, those answers have to be practised and rehearsed. But, you know, his ability to respond to a very difficult condition is is to to come up with a way of playing. And... Look at the success he's had. I know he, he didn't do quite so well in the latter part of that India series, but those two innings he played in Sri Lanka and the first test in Chennai 
were the most outstanding examples of how to play spin in awkward conditions I think I've ever seen from an English batsman. Uh, he's done that by not by coaches, by learning himself, really, and finding out what works. And unfortunately, you can't do much of that without some trial and some error. So here's a question then, Jos. How important is, is natural ability? But also, on top of that, what I might term sporting intelligence, a sort of creative mind, especially, I think, perhaps as batting, to try and solve some of those problems. I mean, it's such a mental game, isn't it? You get that you know, one chance, that's it. you can bat all day or you can be out first ball and that's it. You have to sit and watch everyone else bat all day. Is that that, that sporting intelligence, that creative mind and that determination as well? You can have all the talent in the world, but that determination to try to go away and, OK, listen to what the coach is saying, but to actually take it on board and try to work out things for yourself it's, it's actually no good isn't it someone just telling you something you have to experience it for yourself and work it out for yourself that's essentially education really if someone creates creates the environment for you and then you have to learn yourself really yeah and uh, I mean I know for example that um, Ben Stokes's batting has taken a, a step forward by him gr- uh, taking on board something that Zubin Baracha, the Rajasthan Royals director of cricket, has been telling him for about three years is to just loosen his bottom hand grip slightly and open the face a little bit because he was exasperated that he was trying to hit the ball, hit the cover off the ball and hit massive sixes and it just wasn't working. Why does MS Dhoni do it? Why every time he makes contact and sets his stall out to hit a six, it goes miles into the third tier? It's a, a subtle thing about grip. And it takes a lot for a batsman who's had a lot of success to adapt and and change their game. But I also think that certain batsmen, certain sportsmen, just learn quicker than others. And they're able to adapt those lessons or those ideas from the coach more effectively. Some are more stuck in their ways and find it difficult to adapt. Someone like Root, again, uh, he's someone who, he he just had that affinity with how to play uh, and understood it earlier than the majority of batsmen. You you know, the first time he went to the subcontinent, he made 70 in that Nagpur debut test match. Alistair Cook was a bit the same. He just seemed to have an ability to transfer his skills to the environment and the bowlers he was facing very quickly and and learn because he had... Perhaps it it boils down to having a good stability and a good basic method... And then you can build on that in, in, in how you need to. And if you if you come into the game, you see, I think someone like Steve Smith, he, he's going to get unstuck at some point. You know, he's had an incredible five years. And yes, he's, he's one of the greats. But he, he will go through a period where he'll struggle because he's, he's got so many moving parts to his method. And when they're all clicking and oiled and, and working beautifully and he's confident, he's going to score loads of runs and nobody knows where to bowl to him. But suddenly there'll be a period, maybe it's going to happen around now, where he's not getting the, the, the kind of long format cricket that he, he craves, where things don't work quite so smoothly and then it's quite difficult to know how to fix them. So, you know, Rohit Sharma has, has a, just a beautiful basic method and his issue has always been more the mental approach and just being ruthless, really. And and, yeah, and maybe, you know, being messed around a bit by the selectors. Actually, funnily enough, I always felt that with Mark Ramprakash as well. You know, fantastic basic method. Um, in his head, 
he uh, made problems for himself uh, mm. more than his technical ability. And that is the secret of a coach, in a way, is to unlock that natural ability uh, and, and sort of stop a player from being constipated or affected by what's going on in their head. Yeah, I mean, Ramps is a sort of real enigma in a way, isn't he? Because I mean, he was such a talented player. He made 114 first-class hundreds. He might well be the last player ever to score 100 uh, first-class hundreds. His, his batting average for England was only 27, despite the, all the talent he had. And, he, and he's gone on to be a this sort of very calm, methodical coach. And he, he wants to go on and be a, a head coach. He's, he's coaching at the moment at Harrow School. He's been England batting coach. Of course, when he was playing, he had this sort of rather hot-headed approach to the game. You know, he, he would sort of... He would blow up wouldn't he I mean there were famous confrontations with with umpires was it you're, you're messing with my career was it he said to to one umpire I think it might well have been Daryl Hare after a, a decision at Lords well we asked him whether he actually he rather regretted this sort of hot-headed approach to the game that he had when he was playing yes I regret being like that because and and and, and why did it come about it, it came about through not really understanding the best way to cope with the bad days which inevitably in cricket you have lots of and Although Desmond Haynes and Mike Gatting taught me that, that there would always be lots of bad days, I didn't work out a way, an effective way of dealing with disappointment um, and understanding that those disappointments will happen. You know, I, when I look back and I, I regret that, I regret the, the impact it had on my teammates. And also it cost me a few quid here and there as well. <laughs> so... I guess as you get older, you learn things. And again, with the, I was dealing with a youngster today who was showing quite a lot of angst and frustration and we were having a chat with him. I, I, I look back and, and wish that perhaps someone had taken me aside and, and, and showed a bit of support and understanding, but also perhaps a little bit more firmly saying, hold on, this is not quite acceptable. You know, this, this, if you want to play at this level, you have to be aware of the big picture and how you come across. And I, I probably needed that. That's why you were nicknamed Blood Axe. Ian, good evening. Evening. What's your question? Good to see you. Mark, a coaching question. Who was your coaching role model and, and what traits did you value from them? And then how did your own coaching evolve between the start and when you left the, the England job? Unfortunately, when I look back at my playing career, the number of coaches that I think highly of are not many. And that's, it's not a criticism on them. I think it's more a case that coaching as a skill has really evolved and it's had a lot more thought about it. I really enjoyed doing the, the level four course in 2006. And the first two weeks was spent on knowing yourself, self-awareness, and then trying to read other people's personalities and their preferences when they learn. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I suddenly realized why under pressure I'm acting like I do. And then you have a way of coping with it. So that was a huge benefit. I, I wasn't sure that when I retired from, from playing that I should go into coaching. Um, I didn't want to go into coaching for the wrong reasons. I had nothing else to do. Graham Thorpe asked me to go help with the uh, England 17s. And um, I loved it. The, you know, the, the, these young fellas with their whole life in front of them and their careers. You very quickly, quickly realise you've had your career, your old news, but it's very rewarding to try and help them, help them learn. But there's definite skill to it. Uh, I mean, communication is everything. Uh, in terms of coaching role models, 
I look back and I, I think of David Lloyd's enthusiasm. That's something that I would take from David Lloyd, his energy and enthusiasm, which I enjoyed on the tour to Australia. Keith Medicott was very good with me in the way that he, you know, often would sidle up to me, you know, at the right moment, have a little quiet word, ask how I was traveling. He would show care on the people side of things, which is so important and builds trust. Um, so, so that was really good. Um, and then since then, since I've become a coach, I take little things from people like Paul Farbrace, Trevor Bayliss, Peter Moores. I mean, they're all excellent in their own right, but they've all got their own individual styles. Batting technique? Anybody in particular? Well, I, I look, you know, batting, of course, we live in a time when batting is evolving. We've had all these short formats. I mean, coaches, the great problem with coaches or great conundrum for coaching right now is what are we coaching? Because if you have a, a 10, 10 year olds in front of you, are you coaching solid basics or are you letting them have fun and a free for all and they can do the reverse sweep and all, all that sort of stuff? You know, there's that balance. And when I, I give chats on the ECB level four and, and level threes, we, we talk about this as coaches. Do we have a coherent way of, of coaching in this country? And we don't. When I travel to Asia, they still are very big on the fundamental basics. And that's why you look at the Indian top six and you see people like Rohit Sharma, Kohli, Rahane, uh, Pujara. They're all excellent basics, repeatable basics, day in, day out. And you then you look, you contrast our players. And sometimes I feel, I look at our players and they're almost batting well in spite of their technique, not because of it. We've got a bit to think about in the coaching world regarding this short format versus you know power versus um, orthodox basics for the longer format. There we go. That's Mark Ramprakash Yoz. I wonder who he was referring to. I mean, there are some one or two odd techniques, aren't there, in that England uh, batting lineup, possibly at the the top of the order. How is England's batting going to go this year? We've we've talked about it, India series, and we've sort of touched on it in a way in this podcast that the degree of difficulty in India has been highlighted. England don't prepare for India very well because our pitches over here are not conducive to spin and there are very few spinners, quality spinners in the the county game for all sorts of, of different reasons. It almost feels as if, well, what's happened this time in India is almost certain to happen again next time in India. Meanwhile, there's this, all, all the other series to play home and away and you sort of just forget about it for four years. Yeah, I mean, that that's inevitable. Uh, so it, it, we are going to probably be having this same conversation in, in four years' time and India are just going to get stronger and stronger and England, unless they change their uh, structure, unless they, they we have more county matches throughout the season, four-day games... Uh, you're not going to get the same uh, or a, a, a beneficial variety of conditions and bowling attacks to deal with, and therefore batsmen are not going to be all that rounded. The success of the 100, which is, of course, going to start this summer in July, mid-July, will have a very big bearing on what happens to the county championship. I mean, my view, actually, is that they should play county championship games at the same time as the 100, because the way that the white ball and red ball formats are diverging, you aren't going to get that many of the same players who are trying to play both the 100 and also county championship. So actually, why not play county championship throughout the season and give the you know the loyal members of, of counties who are so 
uh, up in arms about the 100 and lacking any kind of county championship cricket to watch in the high points of the season, it will give them something to watch at the same time and give hopefully batsmen, young batsmen, a more rounded education in, in playing in all conditions at all times of the year, all times of the summer. Anyway, that, that may not happen. And, and by the way, um, you know, I, I, I feel sort of slightly sorry for, for Mark Ramprakash because he's one of the people who should be a coach in the 100. You know, there's this fantastic new uh, all singing, all dancing, all bells and whistles tournament with all the money being spent on it, and it's supposed to be for the benefit of the English game ultimately, and to get you know a new audience and all that. But all the coaches are, are overseas coaches, and that seems really sad, especially at a time when coaching is is such a an interesting environment, and there are so many coaching courses and people coming through the system, desperate to to make their mark in, in the coaching environment, it would have seemed, or it seems, a great opportunity to have the likes of Mark Ramprakash and Mark Straskothic and others to, to be able to coach a team in the 100, but it's not to be, which which seems a, a real oversight for me. Do you think we'll go down the route, or we perhaps we are, well, we have gone down the route, haven't we, uh, to some extent, of, of, of red ball coaches and, and white ball coaches? Do you think someone like Mark would be... A, be seen as a basically a red ball coach rather than a white ball coach. Yeah, I, I probably I probably do think that actually, and, and you know, it, in a way, it, it's it's about uh, the, the, the reason why there's a well, the, the, the fundamental difference between the two types of cricket is the red ball cricket is is more of a mental game. You you need a basic technique, but then you need to to think your way through all sorts of different scenarios. Whereas white ball, especially T Twenty and the hundred, is about hitting the ball, who can hit the most sixes, uh, in terms of batting anyway. I mean, bowling, there's a little bit more finesse to it. So I think that you are going to find, I mean, the likes of uh, Julian Wood, for instance, a former Hampshire batsman who is now a power-hitting coach, you know, he will come to the fore with all his little gadgets that he's got to make sure you've got fast hand speed and you can hit the ball powerfully in all directions and stuff. Uh, and yet a, a, a really thinking coach, like a, maybe a Triscothic or a Ramprakash, will be more uh, valuable in, in the, the longer formats. Yeah, although, of course, uh, Trez was a very, very good uh, white ball player, wasn't he? He was an excellent uh, white ball player for England in, in short form cricket. I think that's just about it, Yours. Uh, yeah, well, there's today, a lot to think about isn't there, isn't there? Batting yeah, is, there is such there a is, complex yeah. art uh, and mm. a science as well. Uh, we could go on and on talking about it. I suppose in the end, it's about putting back to ball, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's what Trez says, isn't it? Be, be positive, see ball, hit ball. Um, I'm sure there'll be a bit more to his uh, coaching than that uh, with the England team. Well, we wish him uh, all the best. It was great to have them in, actually, in, in the virtual cricket club. I think the people who were with us really enjoy listening to their thoughts and, and philosophies and talking about their careers as well. This Thursday, Yoz, we have... We have Alex Hartley and Kate Cross. So the women's double act, who also produced the podcast No Balls. And uh, it's a very successful, very fun podcast by one former England player who's hoping to get back into the England women's team and one current player. Uh, very good characters, both of them. Uh, so we're looking forward to a lively evening on Thursday. They've already ruffled a few feathers with one or two tweets they've posted over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, so we'll find out what was behind that and what's been the fallout from that as well. So hope you can join us for that. It's in aid of the Professional Cricketers Trust, the charity that supports 
cricketers who've fallen on hard times. And you can join us by going to worldsbestcricketclub.com. That's right. worldsbestcricketclub.com. And we have an event every week. You pay £6 a month, but you get four live events for that. And we're going to continue that through March, April and May. So you get plenty of good value for your £6 a month. So I hope you can join us for that. Worldsbestcricketclub.com. See you there. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.